Welcome back, y'all. We're going to continue on our trek through the book of Job with chapter 23 today. In chapter 23, Job is again responding to his friend Aliphaz, who is in the previous chapter, again, just attacking him and criticizing. So this is Job's response to his friend in verse 1. Then Job spoke again. My complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God. I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him. So I would be forever acquitted by my judge. Here he's pleading his innocence again, and he he does say that he would be forever acquitted, and that's another foreshadowing to when Jesus comes to earth and dies for us and acquits us of all of our sins and does cleanse us forever. In verse 8, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed, but he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's path. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but I have treasured his words more than daily food. But once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. No wonder I am so terrified in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me, thick. Impenetrable darkness is everywhere. And here we see, in spite of everything, he still trusts in God. He still has faith in God, and that genuine faith and trust in God remains steadfast throughout his suffering. And he treasures God's word, his daily words, more than daily food. And I love that, that treasure statement in the passage. Treasuring God's word is just so, so vital in our lives. And he knows that God is still in control and he has a healthy fear and reverence of God. And he continues in, ver or in chapter 24, in verse 1. Why doesn't the Almighty bring the wicked to judgment? Why must the godly wait for him in vain? Evil people steal land by moving the boundary markers. They steal livestock and put them in their own pastures. They take the orphan's donkey and demand the widow's ox as security for a loan. The poor are pushed off the path. The needy must hide together for safety. Like wild donkeys in the wilderness, the poor must spend all their time looking for food, searching even the desert for food for their children. They harvest a field they do not own, and they glean in the vineyards of the wicked. All night they lie naked in the cold, without clothing or covering. They are soaked by mountain showers, and they huddle against rocks for want of a home. The wicked snatch a widow's child from her breast, taking the baby as a security for loan. The poor must go about naked, without any clothing. The, they harvest food for others, while they themselves are starving. They press out olive oil without being allowed to taste it, and they tread in the winepress as they suffer from thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the wounded cry for help, yet God ignores their moaning. 
Wicked people rebel against the light. They refuse to acknowledge its ways or stay in its paths. The murderer rises in the early dawn to kill the poor baby and the needy. At night he is a thief. The adulterer waits for twilight, saying, No one can see me then. He hides his face so no one will know him. Thieves break into houses at night and sleep in the daytime. They are not acquitted with the light. God is light, obviously. In verse 17, the black night is their morning. They ally themselves with the terrors of the darkness, but they disappear like foam down a river. Everything they own is cursed, and they are afraid to enter their own vineyards. The grave consumes sinners, just as drought and heat consume snow. Their own mothers will forget them. Maggots will find them sweet to eat. No one will remember them. Wicked people are broken like a tree in the storm. They cheat the woman who has no son to help her. They refuse to help the needy widow. God in his power drags away the rich. They may rise high, but they have no assurance of life, which is eternity. We have our our, assur- our assurance from God lies in the fact that we know we get to live forever with God into eternity. Verse 23, they may be allowed to live in security, but God is always watching them. And though they are great now, in a moment they will be gone like all the others, cut off like heads of grain. Can anyone claim otherwise? Who can prove me wrong? And in chapter 25, his friend Bildad's going to again respond for a third time in verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, God is powerful and dreadful. He enforces peace in the heavens. Who is able to count his heavenly army? Doesn't his light shine on all the earth? That's a bit of truth there. Every now and then his friends do share a bit of truth. Verse 4. How can a mortal be innocent before God? Can anyone born of a woman be pure? God is more glorious than the moon. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison, people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. And then in chapter 26, Job responds to that short statement from his friend Bildad. In verse 1, then Job spoke again. How you have helped the powerless. How you have saved the weak. How you have enlightened my stupidity. What wise advice you have offered. We have hints of sarcasm entering here. I think he's just merely getting exhausted with all of this at this point. In verse 4, where have you gotten all these wise sayings? Who is a spirit speaks through you? And yes, that is a very good question. In everything we say and do, we should always, always, always make sure that we are walking in line in in God's word and truth. We are at war with an enemy and constantly, he's constantly warring with us. So we always have to make sure we're in the right spirit and in line with God in all he says and does. In verse five, the dead tremble. Those who live beneath the waters, the underworld is naked in God's presence. The place of destruction is uncovered. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds, and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. 
By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. And the great sea monster is um, referred to Rahab, and it represents chaos in the ancient literatures that were written. In verse 13, His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gladding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? And again, we see Job still in continual awe of God in that reverence and just that that adoration for God still comes out even through his continual sufferings. In chapter 27, Job continues, verse 1, Job continued speaking, I vow by the living God who has taken away my rights, by the Almighty who has embittered my soul, as long as I live will I have breath from God. My lips will speak no evil, and my tongue will speak no lies. Here we have him stating he's going to remain steadfast in God no matter what. In verse 5, I will never concede that you are right. I will defend my integrity until I die. I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear for as long as I can live. May my enemy be punished like the wicked. My advisories like those who do evil. For what hope do the godless have when God cuts them off and takes away their life? Will God listen to their cry when trouble comes upon them? Can they take delight in the Almighty? Can they call to God at any time? Will they teach you about God's power? I will not conceal anything concerning the Almighty. And that's something we should never do. We should never conceal God because God is everything. Verse 12. But you have seen all this, yet you say all these useless things to me. This is what the wicked will receive from God. This is their inheritance from the Almighty. They may have many children, but the children will die in war or starve to death. Those who survive will die of a plague, and not even their widows will mourn them. Evil people may have piles of money and may store away mounds of clothing, but the righteous will wear that clothing, and the innocent will divide that money. The wicked build houses as fragile as a spider's web, as flimsy as a shelter made of branches. A shelter is like a hut, and it was referring to they when they celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Shelters, they, they would build temporary dwellings and um, stay in those during the celebration and the fest- festival. In verse 19, The wicked go to bed rich, but wake to find that all their wealth is gone. Terror overwhelms them like a flood, and they are blown away in the storms of the night. The east wind carries them away, and they are gone. It sweeps them away. It whirls down on them without mercy. They struggle to flee from its power, but everyone jeers at them and mocks them. So we're going to go ahead and stop there. And Job's going to continue speaking um, when we continue on tomorrow here. But I think that's a really good stopping point that he's just really maintaining his innocence and his integrity and reverence and awe and just amazingness that he sees in God in spite of everything he's going through. So um, we'll continue on tomorrow with chapter 28. I hope you all are having a great day.